Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Hey, this is Ideal Family. This is our third and final part. And, and really, with a family series like this, um, we're not done. We just have to stop at some point in time. We can keep, we can keep going on this subject for quite a while. But this is, the, this is the third and final part. I would really encourage you to go watch parts one and two online if you can, or YouTube it, or whatever podcast it. There's all kinds of ways to get it. But it's, it's a really cool series. Really, what we talked about was, and this is the, the foundation of the whole series, is that when you look at the Bible, there are no great families in the Bible, which is shocking because you would think, you know, oh, the Bible, let me turn to the Bible. And there's no good families in the Bible, which says a lot. And, and what it should give you is some level of comfort to say, when I look at my family and I look at the craziness or the dysfunction or the weirdness or the ups and the flows and the ebbs and the whatever, that, that I, I, you know what, it's okay. It's okay. But what Jesus does is he never, ever says, I know, he, this is what he does. He says, I know you live in the real, but I'm going to point you towards an ideal. And that ideal may be sometimes unattainable, but I still want you to keep working, pursuing, trying, because if you ever stop, if you ever just settle on the real, here's the problem. When you settle on the real, what you'll end up doing is, is settling for something less than God's best. You'll miss out on something God wants to do in your life. And here's the deal. If you settle for the, for the real long enough and hard enough, what you'll do is, is you'll end up justifying some really bad behaviors, some really bad attitudes, some really bad things that you will pass on to your kids and you will set your kids up for failure. And none of us want that. Because we look at our kids, we, think, we all think we want our kids to be more successful than us or more blessed than us or more whatever than us. Which again, if we want... If we want their lives to be better than ours, then what we've already said, everybody say better. By just saying the word better, what we've introduced is, is that there's something we're at right now, but there is an ideal that is higher and greater than what we currently have. And so what we must do is follow in Jesus' path and say, you know what, even though, even though the real is hard and even though like, it's not always going to be perfect, we're going to keep pursuing that ideal. And even when we fall short, we will fall back onto the grace of God. That was good. That last part was really good because we fall back on the grace. But last week we, we talked about this, that, that because there's no great examples in the Bible, we don't look to people. What we look to is to teaching. And, the, and then Jesus taught things. The apostle Paul and Peter came out and taught things. And what they taught was Peter and Paul both found this truth to be, to be, to be clear. That ideal families are built on mutual submission. That what mutual, fam, or mutual submission is, is when families come together and what they do is they all, this is the ideal, that if they all began to surrender and to submit their time, resources, energy, love, kindness for the better of the whole, that that's the starting point. So when a wife will submit, when a husband will submit, when kids to submit, I'm telling you, mutual submission, everybody doing it, then you kind of find this ideal family. Incredible truth. Please go watch that online. Today, we don't look at the Apostle Peter and Paul. Today, I want to look at the Old Testament and really look at the teaching that Moses gave to the people of Israel right at the brink of their existence as a nation. And he says something so huge and so profound. And this is what we're going to get into. Because here's, here's what I know to be true. Um, nobody taught me how to be a good parent. Did anybody like teach you? Did, did anybody have a parenting class ever? One person. Okay, so 
That, that's my point. Like, okay, two. There's one of that. So, so, so I never had a parenting class. Like, like, if you, like, if you need a certain job in life, you got to go to school usually for that job. Like, depending on what it is. And, like, the more intense the job, the more schooling, right? So, so if you want to be, like, a, a dentist, you got to go to school for four years and then two more years and six total, right? And if you want to be an architect, you got to go to four and then another school for three years more. And if you want to do a doctor, you got to do four and then four more and then a residency for three to seven more. And so, like, like you're like, Dang, you need training for important jobs that require skills so you don't kill nobody. Because you don't want a building to fall on people or sink into the ground or, or you know, whatever it is. I don't know about you, but like, I don't want to kill my kids. Or I don't want my kids to be in therapy one day. You know what I mean? Like, like working out their dad issues. I, I don't want that. And so what we all want is when we look at our family, when we look at our marriage, when we look at our parenting, what we want, we go back. We want that ideal. I don't know about you, but like, here's the deal. Like, I want my kids to, to, to grow up and to love God. Like, that's what I want. I want my kids to grow up and, and have a great marriage. Can I get an amen? Like, like we, we want the, I want my kids to grow up and do well financially. Like, that's important. I want, I want my kids to grow up and have like good friendships these are the things that we all want our kid to do, and yet no one ever trained us how to do this thing. Like, so like, I think I've told you the story before. When my first, my son's 13 years old, when he's my first born, and when he was born, I looked at my wife, and this is what I said. I said, babe, you know what to do with this thing, right? Because I don't know anything about kids. What is that, 24? I was 24 years old. So you, can do, you can start doing math now, how old I am. And so... So I, I, no one taught me, no one, nobody did this with, when it came to marriage either. Did anybody take a marriage class before? Like a few people have taken like a marriage class. But like, again, like this is important stuff. I'm trying not to kill my wife. I'm trying not to kill my kids. This is important stuff. And yet nobody ever trained me how to be a husband and no one ever trained me how to be a dad. And so I'm telling you that, that some of us now, we need to like go ahead and just stop we need to pump the brakes and say, God, what would you have me do? And you might have adult kids, and I'm telling you, you can still jump in now. You might have little tiny ones, and it's definitely the time to jump in and to figure out, God, what would you have me do so that I might have an ideal family or so that I might set up my kids for an ideal family? This is what Moses said in the book of Deuteronomy. The Bible says this, these are the commands, the decrees, and the laws mean like the, the truths, the principles, the insights, all that stuff, that the Lord your God directed me, Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, everybody say that's me. Your children, that's your kids. And their children, who is that? That's some grandkids. We, we like grandkids more than we like kids a lot of times. Isn't that weird? Um, so that you, that's me, my kids, and then my kids' kids after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and all his commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. This is the starting point, and we're going to look at just like nine verses today. This is the starting point, and what he does is, is he starts off saying, here's the deal. If you want to be blessed in life, if you want to have an ideal family, it is so important that you do something to connect your family to God. That you get your family to fall into the ways of God, into the plans of God. And by doing so, you will bring God's presence and blessing into your life. And here's what I want you to see out the gate is that the very first thing he does is he says this. He goes, when it comes to family, I want you to think and act generationally. 
Because did you notice? He said, this just isn't for you. This is for you. But this is for your kids and for them kids' kids. It's for you, your kid, and them grandbabies. That's who this is for. And I want you just to make a shift in your mind right now. I want you to dig deep for a second and say, you know what? Because many of us, we didn't have any training to become parents, to become husbands and wives. But now God is trying to speak into our lives so that we can actually change our own hearts and minds, but then pass that along to our kids and then even to our kids' kids. I get, here, here's the point I want to I get you to think about, is that God is a generational God, and God wants you to think that way. So I don't want you to think about how can I know and live for God. Here's what I want you to begin to think about. How can I live in such a way that I raise up my kids so that they not only experience God, but they know how to pass that along to their kids so that that's different. Because most of us come to church just trying to get fixed, right? Most of us are trying to like, God, help me today. And he goes, I want you to be so much bigger than that. I want you to start thinking long term. I want you to start thinking big picture. What if you begin to like set up like generational success? That's what I want you to think about. Because the Bible speaks to God as a a generational God. That's why in the Old Testament they called him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because I want you to think big picture like I, I don't want it to be the God of you. I want this thing to be passed on from generation to generation. Because, and here's what you need to know. There is a negative cycle that I've observed and I've seen throughout time and throughout families, and I've asked other people about this, I've read on this, and it just, it just falls. It's not always true, but it, it does generally follow this way, that many times in a family, what you have is, is you have a negative cycle that you're going to have to break. And here's what the negative cycle looks like, and you figure out where you're at in this cycle, is that many times there will be a person that rises up in a family, maybe that doesn't know God, doesn't serve God, doesn't honor God, doesn't go to church, none of that stuff, but they rise up. For whatever reason, God touches their heart. God compels them. And this person has an experience with God. And you can tell, like, their life has changed because of this experience with God. They they just are nothing like what they used to be, and they are so committed to God in their life. This is what you would call a first-generational or first-generation Christian. Are you tracking me so far? So there's a person, but here's the tendency and here's the, the, the cycle that I've seen that needs to be broken. That many times what you have is, is that you have that generation that knows God. But the second generation, they don't know God as much as they know of God. And there's a difference. Because I grew up going to church. I grew up with Jesus on a felt board. I grew up knowing about Jonah and the whale. Daniel in the lion's den. And he got Daniel at the, and he got Gilligan. Um, let's move forward. I knew about all the biblical stories and I knew of God. So if anybody as a kid were to ask me questions, I would know some basic Bible trivia, but I'd never experienced God. And I'm telling you that there is a difference there. I was a youth pastor for like a decade. I'm telling you, I looked at kids every week that literally their parents went to church, but as I looked at them, you could tell it was just kind of blank. This was something that they were just doing to go through the motions, and they had not yet experienced God. So here's the problem. When you go from one generation that knows God, and the next generation only knows of God, then there's an even wider gap where the third generation knows not God. And then all of a sudden, you know, you don't know how long that'll last or how much sin or dysfunction or weirdness takes place until finally there's another person that rises up and that God touches their heart again. I don't know about you, but I'm not letting that cycle hit my life. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make sure that I set up my kids 
for success. But to do that, to break that kind of cycle, you've got to begin to think generationally. Not just can I go to church and get some help, but how can I teach and help and train my kids so that they may know God. And here's, you know, I, was, I remember I was at a, um, I don't go to a barber shop. I go to a salon. And, and this, was, this was a few years ago, but I was up, it, it, I, I didn't stay at this place long because I just wasn't digging it. But I was up in this salon and, and as I was in it, like the one hairdresser is talking to the other hairdresser because I think there's like a training situation going on. And somehow they ask me what I do for a living and then, they, you know, they find out I'm a pastor and then they start talking religious stuff. And then, but it was weird because what happened was, is the one girl's talking to the other girl And they were asking about what church they go to or what they believe. And it was all cordial. But then this woman said something and it so just caught my attention. And what she said was, she goes, you know what? Well, I go to this and such church and I believe this, but I don't make my kids go. She goes, I don't want to force that on my kids. I want them to discover that for themselves. I thought that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Now, if you think that, I don't know that you think that, so don't be offended at me. I'm talking about other people. I like you, so just don't even tell me that you thought that, and then we don't have to be weird later at mashed potato time. But, but, my, but my point is, you don't really believe that. that, that you, you don't. Here's the problem with that statement. Number one is this. If you really think that way, then you have no confidence yourself in Jesus as the Son of God. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying that to reveal something in your heart. Like, whoa, whoa, if I'm not willing to pass that along, it means that I lack the confidence or real faith in that thing to be true or to exist. And I'll tell you why you don't really believe that stuff anyway. If you're a parent out there, let, let, let's do this real quick. How many, you kids, or how many parents taught your kids to brush your teeth? Okay, how, how many just didn't? You just like, no, I'm not going to teach you. Okay. See, my, my, my point is, is that when things are true or when things are essential, or things are important to life, you don't just leave it up to chance. Does that make sense? Because you taught your kids how to brush their teeth. You didn't sit back and say, you know what? I don't know that I'm going to, I'm not going to burden them. I'm not going to put that on them. I'm not going to force them to brush their teeth. I want them to discover that on their own. I want them to be able to figure that out on their own. I want that. No, you don't, you don't do that. Why? Because you know that their breath will be funky and make life worse for you. You know that they will get cavities and cost you more money. You know that the, the, that the health and well-being of their life and future, that funky grill, will be your fault. So you, you go ahead and break out. I'm not going to burden my kids with that. No, you did. Hopefully you yelled at them. You go, you go brush your teeth right now. You get, you get in there right now, you brush for at least 60 seconds. Y'all do that, like count the alphabet thing or whatever it was? But A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And you had to like, did y'all not do that? Okay, good. But, but, my, but my point is, is that things that are essential and things that are true, we don't leave those to chance. You don't believe that. Like there, there are certain things that you absolutely trained your kid to do, taught your kid to do, or forbid your kid not to, because you just knew it was true and it was essential. And so my point is, is like what, what God's saying here is I want you to realize that this thing is real. This thing is true. This thing is essential. And you don't want to leave it up to chance. You want to start thinking now, how can I help my kids to know and fear God? Let's keep going here. So 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, this is the next verse. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, the, the reason why this comes up, and I think it's so huge, he pivots here. He gets you to think, hey, I want you to know and serve God with all your life because your life will be more blessed if you do. And I want you to do this generationally. I want to think about you, your kids, your grandkids. I want you to think about this thing being long-term blessing in your life. And then he pivots. And where he pivots is back to personal responsibility because he goes, this is what he's ultimately saying is this, is that ultimately my personal relationship with Jesus is the catalyst to my family knowing and experiencing God. So like, my point is, is that you can't give what you ain't got. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't pass along something that you don't possess. And so it starts with you. Because I want you to notice the verse. He goes, I want you to love God with all your heart. I want you to love God with all your strength. I want you to love God with all your soul. By the way, if, you, if, if that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus quoted that. When he was asked what's the most important thing in all the Bible, that's the first thing that came out of his mouth. Because that's the catalyst to everything else in your life. So the next part was loving your neighbor as yourself. But the problem is, it's really, really hard to do that if Jesus is not in our heart. I find that hard to do even with Jesus in my heart, really, if I could be honest. But, but I'm still pursuing an ideal. I'm still, I'm still walking with Jesus. And then I fall back on grace when I, I, I miss it. But he, th this is the deal. It all comes down to my personal relationship with Jesus and everything starts there. You have to ask yourself some like challenging questions. Like, does my family see that I have a love for God, an honor for God? Is it clear to my family that Jesus is the priority of my life? Is it clear to my family that church is a priority in my schedule? Because here's the deal, and this is just true of any type of parenting. If it is not modeled by you, it will probably not be realized by them. So like that stuff that you want your kids to do, like, like, like dads, if you want your son to grow up and be a gentleman and know how to treat a, a lady correctly, you need to model that. <laughs> Ladies, if you want your wife to grow up and not be some crazy nag that sends, his hus or sends her husband to the corner of a rooftop, yeah, you know that Bible verse, th th then you need to model that. You know, like there's certain things that, like if you want... Because this whole generational thing, like, like I, I, need, I want you to think of it like this, like... The other area that that's true, when it, when it comes to like passing along and teaching and training, that, that's true of marriage as well. Because usually in life, all we have is what's been modeled to us, right? And so like, again, this goes back to the most important thing that you can pass along to your kids is to know and honor God with their lives. But I would say, this is conjecture, this is me making up stuff on the fly. I would say that you teaching your kids what a great marriage looks like is probably the second most important thing that you can pass along to them. Because again, whatever it is that you model, that's what you end up passing along. And I'm telling you, when you dads, when you, when you know, and this is why it's so important for, for parents to date. This is why it's so important for parents to hug and to kiss in front of their kids. Like that's good for them to see affection. It's so important for them to see that because this is, there, there's, a, there's a current trend in our culture right now. I see some parents be like, see, that's okay that we kiss. Uh, and the kid blushed. Anyway, the, the reason why this is so important is because it's, this, is, this is a countercultural idea. In our modern culture, there's this idea that kids should be the focus of the family. And so everything revolves around the kids. Like your bank account revolves around the kids, and that causes fights and arguments. And your schedule revolves around the kids, and that causes frustrations. And then everything is about the kids. 
And I'm telling you that that's not a biblical model. As a matter of fact, that's an unbiblical model. The biblical model is that the centerpiece to the home is Jesus. That really the, the priority behind that is the marriage. And then children are invited into that marriage. That's actually the biblical model. Because again, if your kids are in umpteen different activities and events and sports and things and you're going and all of your life and all of your money and all of your schedule revolves around them, you've basically raised children that thinks the world should revolve around me. And they'll have no clue to know what it's like to see a mommy and a daddy who love each other and go on dates and spend time together and hug a kid. And what you've done is you've trained up a kid to, and then all of a sudden they become a husband or they become a wife and they don't know what to do. They'll have not seen what mommies and daddies do. They'll just see what parents do to kid-centric homes. Anyway, that's free. That's not, that's not even the notes. Um, what time is it? I better get, I need to move. So, so my point is, is that your personal relationship with Jesus is the catalyst that launches everything else out into existence. And here's the deal. Studies back this up and support this. Like, I'm just not like making up this stuff. Like, like not only is it in the Bible, but like studies show this. There's a study that was done recently that like probably about within the last five to 10 years. And it was just fascinating because what it showed was, is that Basically, when mom and dad, and we're talking about family units here, so I, I would say single parents might be a little bit different numbers here, but, but moms and dads, family units, when both the mom and the dad go to church, and they make church a priority, and they're bringing the kid to church, 72% of those kids stay on and just keep going to church. And, and then watch this now. If only mom goes. So if you're here today, and you're a dad, and you showed up because of mashed potatoes in, in, in a New York strip, is it New York, or is it filet? I don't remember. It's steak later, but... But, but if you just, dad, if you're, just love, I, I love you. I'm not beating you up. I love you. But if you're here today, and this is like the rare occasion that like she has to, you know, force you to come to church with you and the kids, I'm telling you, look at the drop off when only mom goes and dad's got to go fishing and dad's going to go golfing and God, dad's going to go do his own thing or dad just wants to sleep in and be grumpy or whatever it is. There's just, there's just, is it too, too close? Too, too. So let's, let's keep going. Now watch this now. Watch, watch, watch. If dad only, look at the number go back up. I'm telling you, there's something. I'm telling you, there's something about the father and the home and, and church and God and spirituality that is unique. I'm telling you, I don't, I can't fully explain it. It's just unique because if like mom's sleeping in or whatever, and dad's going and dad's rallying the kids, I'm the kids. The kids will jump in and you see a higher percentage. And then lastly, here's this: if neither mom or dad, then you're down to six percent. What does that? What does that mean? What that means is, is that your personal relationship with Jesus is the catalyst. It's you. Do you love God with all your heart? Do, do your kids see you worship? Do your kids know that you give and tithe and make giving a price? Do your kids see you actually read your Bible? Do your kids see you pray? Do your kids have conversations with you about God? I'm just telling you, it's the catalyst. I'll show you. Let's keep reading. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. Finally, we'll get to this final part of this. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon whose hearts? Yeah, my heart. My heart. That's where it starts. And then I want you to impress them on your children. That word impress, there, there's a couple different ways they translate it. It was almost like they didn't know what to do with it. One of them is like the idea of like just to train diligently, but the other one is to like grafting and cutting it in, like grafting something in. Like it, it, Again, this wasn't like, I'm going to let them figure this out for themselves. There's certain things in life we don't 
Just let our kids figure out. We help them. We train them. We prepare them. We set them up for success. Now, if they get down the road and decide they want to change their mind, that's fine. They're grown now. They're adults. They can go do that. But you at least did everything that you could do to set them up for what you believe to be true and absolutely essential. So he says, I want you to impress them on your children. And then I want you to talk about them, these principles, ideas, knowing and experiencing. I want you to talk about them when you sit at home. So this should be like a family conversation. Maybe there's like a family devotional time even. And I want you to talk about them when you walk along the road. And then I want you to talk about them when you lie down. And then I want you to, man, this is, we just, and, and, and really it's an overstatement. All this is is, is an overstatement. Say, hey, look. I want it to always be about your, your conversation. I want it to be all, all over everything in every way because life. Because here, here's the deal. I want you to stop compartmentalizing God. Stop compartmentalizing Sunday morning. Because sometimes there's a, there's a habit. I've seen this even in my, my family growing up as a kid where it was like, well, there was God and there was church. And then that was over there. And then there was work and that was here and there was school and that was here. And then there's marriage and that's over here. And there's all these different compartments and categories. That's not who God is. God is not a category. He is the category that everything flows out of. And so God is the centerpiece of my marriage. And he's the reason why I work. And he's the reason why I have friends. And does that make sense? Like God is not first in a list of things. He is the centerpiece that everything in life flows out of. Therefore, he can be a part of any conversation because everything begins and ends with him. Can I get amen? Does that... So I, I just want everywhere. That's what I want. Verse number eight says this. Tie them. Now this got crazy. I want you to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. This was something that certain Orthodox Jews took literally. If you go to New York, you'll see some dudes and they got like a little thing. Anybody ever seen this with like Orthodox Jews? They got a thing wrapped around and there's like a little box right here. Do you know that in the box is a scroll with... Bible verse on it. Okay. And then I want you to bind them on your forehands and tie them to your hands. Like not only do you, I want you to, them, to God to be all about your conversation. I want God to invade your thoughts. Like I want God to be on your mind and like change the way you think about things. I, I want God to be on your hands. Like what you put your hand to, your job, your career, what your activities, your recreation, all that stuff. Like I want God engaged in your thoughts and your family and all that stuff. God should be in all of it. Let's keep reading. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So I want God to invade your conversation, your minds, your activities. I want God in your home. And there's this word in here that he uses. It's just this, this idea of impressing, training diligently. I guess here's my point is when it comes to raising my kids, I must train them intentionally. This is not random, because I'll tell you why you don't want to go random. Because this is, again, this is the mistake that, that, that I've fallen into at times, and I've seen other people fall into, is we just think that kids will kind of, it'll all come naturally. You ever feel like that? Well, I'll just do what comes naturally. I'll just use my motherly instinct, I'll use my fatherly instinct, my paternal instinct, and I'll just do whatever comes naturally. <laughs> that could be a terrible idea for some of us. Because what comes, I don't know about you, but because I'm sinful, what comes naturally is not good, usually. Like, like what comes instinctively is not always the best. Again, if we're raising our kids on instinct, more than likely, we're just doing the best we could with what mom and dad handed down to us. And that could have been hyper dysfunctional. It could have been pretty good. I don't know for you. But if all you're doing is passing on what comes naturally, what you could end up with is a mess. 
Because we, we don't want to pass on what comes naturally. We want to train intentionally. This is why what's interesting about this is the Bible doesn't give specific things on like, you always do this with your kids, you never do this with your... What, what the Bible teaches is that you train your kids in principles. Does that make sense? Because life changes, life, life evolves. But if I'm always rooted in the words of God and the principles of God's word, then I'm okay. So like the Bible speaks to all this stuff. Like, like Proverbs alone is a microcosm of this. Like it talks about kids and it talks about certain principles and it says stuff like this. Like train them how to manage God's money. Like how many of y'all had training on how to do personal finances when you came up? Like, like most, most of us didn't. I didn't. I didn't know. Like, but he's like, yeah, train them how to choose their friends carefully. Train them how to watch their words. Train them how to be responsible. Train them how to guard their minds. Train them how to be generous. Train them to fear the Lord. So it's like, no, 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 this is real. Like, like, I want to think generationally. I want to have a personal relationship with God that everything flows out of. And then when the time comes and them little tykes are ready to learn, I start a training process because I want to, how many of you want to set your kids up for success? How many of you want your kids to be blessed in life? That will not come accidentally for most of us. Now, there are some exceptional kids that come out of the womb, you did everything wrong, and they still turned out fantastic. Okay, don't brag. You got lucky, okay? I don't know how that happened. That you rolled the dice and you rolled snake eyes. I don't know what you did. And I got one of them kids. I got a kid that like, you know, we don't, yeah, you're fine. Just go be happy. You're, you're, you're always obedient. You're always, we got one of them kids. You might have one or none. I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. But every, every once in a while, kids, you just did whatever. Like, I, and I know this. I know this to be true. I know like there's a, there's a friend of mine who grew up and when she tells you the story of like how dysfunctional the home was that she grew up in, and I look at her and I'm like, you're perfectly sane. You're perfectly normal. You love God. You're, you, I, I, and she's, she broke the rule. She's an exception to the rule. But by and large, that is not how kids come out the way that they come out. And here's the, the huge principle. Watch this. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train a child. Everybody say train. Train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, again, this is not a promise as much as it is a principle. It's a principle that, generally speaking, that when you train things in the, in the formative years, in the young years, they usually go through this weird period called teenager and early adulthood where they think they know more and they try to figure stuff out on their own. Then they fail a bunch of times. And then they, what do they do? They cycle. If they don't do too much damage, they cycle back around. They're like, okay, maybe mom knew, maybe dad knew. Okay, God's way was the better way. I've experienced enough pain in life to realize my way was dumb. You know, whatever it is. But they come back around. Why? Because, but, but what, what was the first word? Everybody say train. It's a train a child in the way that he should go. And then when he's old, he went. So it's, it, it, it's on us to train them intentionally. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to close here. I, I'm just telling you, this is what I found to be the most important aspect of family. Again, there's a tension between the ideal and the real. Listen, my family's not always ideal. I'm not always ideal. I'm not always perfect. I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not speaking and teaching from some point of perfection. What I'm pointing you towards is the same ideal that I'm reaching towards. That hopefully I can be in a family where I am submitting myself. I'm surrendering myself. I'm giving the best of who I am and everything that I've got for the embitterment of the family. And the reason why that's so important is because if I do this, what I can do is I can set up my kids and not just my kids, but my kids' kids for success. A few years ago, my wife and I had this, this personal experience. She probably had it before me. It just took me a while to catch up. 
But I remember I was engaging with a pastor who was talking about family and kids, and he said something that should have been, it should have been already fully aware in my brain, and it wasn't. But he got into like challenging the, 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 the parent traps. Like one of the parent traps is like that you want your kid to be smart and to, to have great grades and to be successful in school. And how many know that's good, right? That's, but the trap is that that becomes the most important thing. And when that becomes the most important thing, then all of a sudden it's, it's not, how, you know, how's your relationship with God? And hey, you know, what's God doing in your heart? And hey, is, it's not that. It's what you get in your grades. What'd your report card say? How are you doing? You know you got to get into school. You know you got to get to go to college so you can get to a good job and you make good money. And we, we make this, we make this, tr- and I'm telling you, it's, it's a good thing, but we end up forcing it up into the top spot and then all of a sudden God has moved down the list. We, we do it. Sometimes dads do this really bad. Is we have like the sports trap. Like everything, like my kid's got to be an all-star. My kid's going to make, the, you know, the, the pros. He's going to make it in the big leagues. He's going to make it to the NFL. He's going to make it. And, 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 and I'm telling you, it's, just, it's a pipe dream is really what it is. But we believe wholeheartedly that our kid needs to win the gold, make it to the professional level, and do all this. And so we, pour, we, we push and push and force and force and force. And it's all about the sport and doing the good in sport until all of a sudden they're in travel ball this and on the, on the road this. And all of a sudden you're missing church. You're gone out of church regularly and routinely because of all kinds of sports stuff. And all that does is set a tone that says sports trumps this. Sports is the priority over this. And you are inadvertently training them and setting them up to say, hey, look, there are a lot of other important things and good things in life, and those can go right above God. Now, we would probably never say that in our heart. We would come up with ways to justify and excuse that. But I'm telling you, your kids are just watching what you model. There's another performance trap, and sometimes we do this to ourselves. There's a performance trap on us that says, I need to provide for my kids everything in life that I didn't have. You ever felt that temptation? Especially if you came up out of poverty. You're like, I want to get my kids out of this and my kids are never going to have to experience that. And I'm going to make sure. And so you know what you do? You work like a dog. You're working 60 and 70 and 80 hour work weeks or you're flipping two jobs and you got two. And I'm telling you, and then all of a sudden, you know what they're experiencing? Mom and dad ain't around. Like, like they're so busy. They're so full. The schedule's so full and it's all about the stuff and it's all about the experiences that I just don't even get. I'm telling you what, man, I, I've seen this. And you, when you're an adult and you look back, you would agree with me that what I did not need was more stuff. What I needed was more of mom and I needed more of dad. It takes us a while to figure that out. But we get caught in the trap of I need to be able to provide or give or do all this stuff for my kids. And you, Because I'm telling you, the most important thing that you can give your kid is to teach them how to know and love God. And the second most important thing that you can give them, it's not a gift, it's nothing that they can unwrap. It's either how to be a great husband or how to be a great wife because they learned it from watching you. And I'm telling you, we came to this realization that, you know what? I want my kid to be smart, but it's not the most important thing. And I want my kid to be good at his grades and good at sports, but it's not the most important thing. That the most important thing that I can do is help my kid know and experience God. Because I'm telling you what, if they get a master's degree and a PhD but don't know God, I have failed. And if they make it on tour and they make it to the pros and they make it to whatever and they don't know God or don't honor God at all with their lives, I have failed. And it took me this experience to realize, Todd, you have missed it. Like all these are the things, they're good things, but you're making them the most important thing and therefore you've sacrificed what truly is the greatest thing. 
for me, it was just that experience. And so this has been my prayer, and I want to give this to you. And my prayer is simply this. God, help me to put you first in my life so that my kids will know to put you first. And help me to love you with all my heart so that my kids will love you too. Let's pray today. God, we thank you that you have given us the ideal. That you didn't hold back. You didn't pull punches. It was uncomfortable today at times. God, we know we've missed the mark. We know we failed, but you still did not hold back. There is an ideal. And you give us grace for the real. And so God, for us in here today who feel that sense of conviction or whatever it is, then then God, I just pray for your grace and your forgiveness where we've missed the mark. God, help us have mercy on us. Help us, God, help make the difference up for what we maybe didn't do for our kids. God, be the difference maker. But God, today is the day that God, we can make a change, that we can turn this thing around, that we can actually start to take steps now. God, help us above all, God, to put you first in our life. And then God, as, as parents and as leaders in our family, God, to put you first, not just in our heart, but God, first in our family. And God, we pray that in response to that, your blessing will be so over our lives. God, I pray for kids today. God, I pray for unborn grandkids today. God, I pray for a church that sets up their family for generations to come. Lord God, we ask for your help in Jesus' mighty and holy name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.